From the silver screen to the GM screen, Never Say Die asks, what can we learn from movies to enhance our role-playing experience? This season, we're all about kids on bikes. Movies where a group of small-town kids get themselves in and out of trouble. I'm Drew Meyer, a game designer. And I'm Rafe Telsch, film critic. And today we're talking 1985's The Goonies, written by Steven Spielberg and Chris Columbus, directed by Richard Donner and starring Sean Astin, Josh Brolin, and Corey Feldman, among others. Uh, Rafe, this was your pick. So, would you please give us your elevator pitch for The Goonies? Uh, sure. Elevator pitch. Uh, a group of kids go seeking hidden treasure in order to save their endangered homes while they are being pursued by a small group of gangsters. Gotta have your gangsters. Gotta have your time limit. <laughs> they're they're an important part of this story. I think we're going to hit on those more than almost anything else uh, in this discussion because they're such an important element, not only from a movie standpoint, but also as something that you can use as a ticking clock in the role playing game. Oh, absolutely! I, I I love the Fratellis as a threat, um, both from a gamification standpoint, but in particularly in this movie, this is, this is a classic as, as we mentioned in our, our, our first kind of zero session, session zero episode, the Goonies is almost the, like I almost did the thing you did. I was gonna say the er kids on bikes film, but it's, it's sort of the template. It's Indiana Jones with kids. It's Indiana Jones on bikes, right? <laughs> bikes. Why did it have to be bikes? It it had to be bikes because Bran failed his driver's test. That's why it had to be bikes. Man, <laughs> Bran. You know, I'm watching Disney Plus's What If. Try to imagine Disney Plus What If, the Goonies episode where Bran gets his thing. They all go out and, like, nothing happens. All the houses go. They move on. <laughs> depressing. The end. It's over in ten minutes. We clearly have a, a deep-seated nostalgia for this film. Uh, Rafe, do you remember the first time you saw this movie? I, I don't necessarily remember the first time I saw it, but I know I was young. I was I was probably close to the age of the kids in the movie. Yeah, this came out in, in 1985. Uh, I was 11 in 1985, so if I saw it on VHS the next year, that puts me pretty close to the age of the kids within it. And uh, that, that was important because I felt a connection to those kids. Like, that was me and my friends. I didn't have any friends that were like this at all, but still, that, that like, I could have been along on the adventure with them. So I, I didn't see it in the theater. I did see it uh, at home and instantly fell in love with it. How about you? Yeah, I did see it in the theater. Uh, in fact, I went and saw it with a group of my friends. We The, the neighborhood I grew up in was actually called Briar Patch, and we were the, <clears throat> the, the Briar Patch kids. Anyway, uh, Cabbage Patch Kids is were really popular around the time. Is that Xavier Roberts on the phone? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, it's Xavier Roberts from Cleveland, Georgia. Uh, I just wanted to say, you're, you're, I'm suing you. I'm suing you. No one remembers who we are. Anyway, does not matter. No one remembers uh, who yeah. Xavier Roberts is either. That's just you and me, buddy. Yeah, so a group of us went and saw it in the theater. So there was a there was a, a really cool little theater not too far away from the home, and we went. We were, I think, between some of us were probably as young as six. I was probably about nine at the time. So, yeah, this movie really felt like it was possible to get into those sort of hijinks. And we were certainly um, not latchkey kids, but we were definitely free-range kids of the 80s. Uh, uh, bicycles on a golf course kind of a thing. So, yeah, no, this this film inspired uh, a great deal of hijinks from, from us for years to come. Now, did the Briar Patch kids ride their bikes to see this movie? Because that would be the epic poetry element of this. 
It would have. It would have been quite amazing. Sadly, I think the closest theater was about four miles away. And if you've ever been to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina in the summer, you would know (laughs) that small children riding bikes on the highway is probably what we would in the industry call a bad idea. Uh, So, no, I think we probably carved pooled in minivans. And I actually remember being quite scared by it, like I was scared by everything that came out around that time. But we'll talk specifically about the things that scared us and the things that uh, got us all kind of excited to, to, you know, I don't know, put oil in their sneakers and, and, you know, try to trip people up and shoot teeth at... Anyway, I'm kind of a data fan. Anyway, (laughs) let's talk a little bit more about this film specifically um we are at heart both game nerds and movie nerds so we're going to call this section the good the bad and the ugly uh so rafe tell me something that you really love about the goonies well i mean as you said this is kind of the template for kids on bikes uh both as a, a film genre and as a game genre and the way it establishes that template, I, I loved back then, and I still love. I love the different personalities of the kids. I love that you've got, you know, the smart aleck, and you've got the leader, and you've got the brainiac, and you've got the cute one, and, you know, you've, you've, you've got all these different personalities. And it, you know, it's very Breakfast Club, but I didn't know the Breakfast Club back then, so I had no idea that it was very Breakfast Club. And I, I just, I loved the dynamic of the friends. These kids felt like they were legitimately friends, not just actors on the screen, but the, the, the way they harass each other and they um, they care for each other and all, all of that just, all, all of that combined that makes the adventure that gets the audience engaged that get that makes the stakes feel very real that these kids are 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 not only about to lose their home you know which is of course the stakes of the movie but they're about to lose their group they're about to lose the goonies they're about to lose their friendships they're going to spread out they're going to be like the muppets and the muppets take manhattan and go their separate ways and it's going to be sad as they sing saying goodbye you know you had to bring muppets into this man now i'm getting like (laughs) emotional so yeah, I liked that. I love the Fratellis. You know, uh, Anne Ramsey uh, as Mama Fratelli. I, I don't think I noticed her as much in this movie the first time I saw it, but after Throw Mama from the Train, uh, she just became one of my favorite character actresses to watch. And then I realized that that was her in this. And yeah. uh, I mean, she just plays a boss bad woman and, you know, I had no idea who Joey Pants was at the time, obviously, uh, but the, the, the interaction between the, the two sons and, of course, the mother, uh, I, I just, I loved all of it. The characters, the, they, that, that's, I could have answered in 30 seconds, the characters, that's the good to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I agree. Having rewatched this several times recently for this podcast, um, you know, I was going off of my memory of this film, which I hadn't seen in probably 10 to 15 years, you know, and and it was fueled entirely by nostalgia and the memory of like everything I thought I knew about the film. And the thing that really stood out for me is how great the Fratellis really were. Uh, you, you mentioned really early on the podcast, we we're going to talk about them a lot. And I didn't think I wanted to talk about them nearly as much, or at least that wasn't my plan. But I think there's a lot to to, to say about them as characters. I think they're really well developed. And when we get to our uh, bad, I have something to say about them as well. Um, you know what I want to mention on this is the music, because rewatching it, I, I rewatching it just about a week ago, and then again last night, I've had the th- the various themes from this soundtrack 
running through my head all day. This is the sort of thing where if we were sitting across the gaming table from each other before we even started, before we rolled dice, before I pulled out a screen, before I did anything, I would have found a way to play the theme song to get us pumped. You know, like get that before music going, like sitting in a theater. Uh, The soundtrack is so good. Oh, yeah. When I watch it now, and I've watched it a couple of times this year for this podcast and for my own podcast, which did an episode on it, from the moment he gets out of the prison and the, the, Mm -hmm. the music starts, I'm just in love with this movie. That main Goonies theme, the prison break, and then the the drive through the town, which I'm sure we'll talk about later and and all that. Uh, I, I love the soundtrack to this movie. I actually want to talk about that now. Let's go ahead and talk about the intro now. Okay. I don't know if how many movies have started so good as a way to introduce us to all the characters that we are going to see throughout this film, save one. You know, like, uh, Sloth is not in the introduction of this, but other than that, we get not only uh, all the Goonies, but we also get their relationship, like a little bit of tidbits of who they are as characters, just right off the bat, we get a fantastic view of... Astoria, Oregon. And for looking at kids on bikes, one of the things that we talked about on our last episode is how important place is for a story, for you to be able to care about the the kids. This is the kids' kingdom, right? This is their realm. This is where they they could travel through. And we got to see the beach. We got to see the docks. We got to see the hills. We got to see the architecture of the houses. We got to see that they're both poorer neighborhoods and richer neighborhoods. We got to see there were alleyways. Like in the first opening 10 minutes, we get such a good world-building moment and it's not obvious it's so well put together and and what's interesting about that is that the town then doesn't become a primary part of the movie it's it's an essential part of these characters and who they are and the stakes that they're fighting for but at the same time their adventure takes them under the town and so the town gets established in those opening credits but then isn't important other than now we've seen it now we know what home is Yeah, agreed. Um, And what's really cool is that they seed aspects of the town below the town. So we've got things like the wishing well, right? So the Moss Garden wishing well. We've got the plumbing that uh, beneath the the Astoria Country Club. Right. Uh, And we know that there's going to be open water in there. So yeah, you're absolutely right. But this could have easily gone another 30 minutes and we could have gotten more town scenes and I think we would have been fine with it. I think the story could could have used a little bit more of a breather and that's fine. You know, nothing against the film, but I, what I like about it is I would be willing to spend more time in that town based off of just the kind of bits that we had seen with it. Yeah. And certainly thinking about how I would recreate the feel of the Goonies in a game a lot of that concern goes into the town because I think there's a lot going on with that town. I've been I've been looking at it as a way to gamify it, and I have like these ideas of what I would do for like sequels and prequels, and and all of that just comes from a very brief introduction. I mean, the fact that major criminals are being housed in a local, a small local jail, <laughs> which, which is possibly the most bizarre aspect of this film, which is like. He's clearly been in there for a long enough time, but when you see them running out of the jail, it's not a very big building. It's not a no. penitentiary. It's just a local jail. 
No one should have jumpsuits on. No one should be in that situation. But I want something I just really want to mention with the Fratellis in that scene is it really sets them up as being intelligent. Right. Until the two brothers get closer to each other. And then it's the kind of brotherly conflicts that they get that sort of get them in trouble. But individually, they're very capable. And Ma Fratelli is incredibly capable and devious and just downright nasty and like stone cold. Like there's this thing where she's charging, playing chicken with another car. And she's just kind of like, you know, snacking on something. It's not a big deal. This is, you know, trust your mother. Love it. Love that intro. Well, the the other thing that this opening chase and, and brilliant theme song, again, just can't stress that enough. The other thing that that establishes is in two minutes, it establishes the base personalities of most of, if not all of our primary characters. So you have Chunk at the pizza mm-hmm. shop and he gets distracted by the, the car chase and he squishes his drink and his pizza against the glass. So he's obviously clumsy and he also really likes food. And you have Andy uh, as the cheerleader and all of that kind of stuff. So the, the question I want to ask you just to, to take a small detour here, and, and this came up on my podcast when we discussed the movie, is what about Steph? Because when she's introduced in that opening sequence, she is washing her hair in a rain barrel, which gives you a very tomboyish feel. But that Mm -hmm. is not very true to the character as it's presented in the rest of the movie, which I would argue is probably the least developed out of all of the characters that she she kind of doesn't belong. And yet I, I can't imagine the movie without her. Steph is such an interesting anomaly in this film because you're absolutely right. The problem with Steph is she's a three-dimensional character. Like, she's a fully faceted (laughs) individual. She's not a stereotype. You had mentioned uh, that we we kind of get these ideas like, hey, Data. Data's the gadget guy. Right. Uh, Chunk, he's the the goofy uh, sidekick. He's the funny. He's going to be the punchline of a lot of jokes. And he's the cheerleader. and, And we get everything that you imagine cheerleaders about, right? And we get mouth... Mouth is a little weird because his intro is less about him and the right. fact that his dad's a plumber. Uh, and you get that amazing turn off the TV and the sirens still going. I mean, that is gold, uh, common gold. <laughs> but what Steph, who Steph is, is Steph is just Steph. And and I kind of love her for that. And I think when I first watched this, I was I thought the exact same thing you did. And I, you know, I had listened to your your podcast. I'm like, yeah, who is Steph? And then I watch it and I'm like, is Steph just the best written character in this who actually has realistic human emotions? Does, does Steph have the best lines in the entire film? Is Steph she does sort that. of like the ad hoc, not leader, but she's almost the glue that kind of buy, like she's almost the catalyst for a lot of this stuff because it's sort of Steph that helps Andy break away from jerky, jerky, jerk face uh she's the one who gets them into the into the um the lighthouse lounge uh she has these amazing connections with almost every single character she has a scene with every single character one form or another but i couldn't say oh yeah you know steph the tomboy or the brainiac or the gadget person or the you know yeah interesting character steph and the one thing i did note on my podcast that i find fascinating about her and and you might be right maybe she's the most three-dimensional out of all of them is one of the things i like about her is even though i I can't place her she doesn't just go into a stereotype type spot is over the course of the movie she has this growing magnetism with mouth like you know Mm -hmm. six months down the line after this movie they date you know they go on a date 
There's no doubt about it. They go on one date. Uh, maybe two? Maybe two. But uh, I think Steph is probably smart enough to keep, leave it at that. Uh, though it does potentially hint at the fact that Mouth might also be maturing as a human being. Like, almost all of them may be maturing as human beings, so... Yeah. No, I agree. I think... But there's a there's a good relationship between the two of them. It's one of those problematic things where, like, oh, it's that antagonistic relationship that shows that they really like each other. It's like... Yeah. No, it's, a, it's, it's a trope of the 80s. It's a trope of the 80s. Yeah. As long as, it, you know, in that, in that movie that we watched, there isn't a makeover scene for both of them i could see i could see andy trying to make over steph and steph going um he's not worth this much effort and, <laughs> it's true that is true. and then and then we've got everyone everyone kind of giving mouth examples of what he should be doing for this and he's just kind of like look, look none of you guys know what you're talking about compared to what i know yeah i actually okay now i've just talked myself into wanting to see that uh that scene from uh the post credits where the uh steph and mouse first date <laughs> Where they meet a horrifying alien creature uh, and have to save the day. Uh, Goonies 2. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Goonies 2 had the mermaid. <laughs> right. Andy the mermaid. Uh, oh, my goodness. Um, I'm, uh, there's probably a couple of people who are like, yeah, Goonies 2. Yeah. yeah uh, 1988 NES reference. Uh, for those who don't know, there was a Nintendo Entertainment System game called Goonies 2. It did have an 8-bit uh, soundtrack by Cindy Lauper. And it was Mikey running around with yo-yos trying to save various members of the Goonies and eventually save Annie the mermaid. But the Fratellis had an entire gang, right? Yes. They had like they, they had like two additional members. Uh this, it was a Metroidvania before Metroidvanias were a thing though. That that's the thing I love about it is like it was different areas were accessible once you unlocked, you know, once you saved certain members of the Goonies and had certain equipment and and that kind of stuff. But we've digressed from the movie. Um we've talked about the <laughs> we good. <have. laughs> yeah. We've, we've talked about the good. What about the bad? What what do you what what do you not like about this movie? You know what I don't like about the movie and it's something that took me a couple of viewings to kind of figure this out is that I feel like as much as I like the Fratellis, the Fratellis by the end of the film become incredibly incompetent when they are at their closest to being victorious, they lose their competency. And I'm a little bummed by that. Mm. Uh, admittedly, if they remained competent, they would have killed all the children. So that's problematic <laughs> in and of itself. But, but watching it a couple of days ago, um, just to kind of get a baseline, remind myself what it was, and then watching it again to really take notes, it's like, oh my God, they outwit the police, which admittedly, does not that hard, all things considered. That's another thing we know about this town is their police force. How did they catch the Fratellis in the first place? That's an interesting right. story. There enough, but they are killers. They are killers. They are competent. They are thinkers. They're masterminds. Moffatelli can outthink the best of them. They are legitimate and genuine threats. They're competent individuals, and then by the end, they become um, Looney Tune characters, complete with sound effects. Uh, and you need that because it is a, ch- a children's film. Well, and I love I love the idea that you just pushed about the fact that as the brothers get closer physically they become mm-hmm. more inept as well. It's like they, they can't function as a cohesive yeah, team. They can't. They, they have that brotherly rivalry, which in itself is a really well-written aspect of their characters. It just really annoys me, not because I'm rooting for them, but because when I'm thinking about them as being competent villains for later on for the gamification part of this <laughs> this podcast, I was just like, oh, man, like 
if the players can get them to get closer together, they have a better chance of surviving. But if they ever, if the Fratellis ever split up, it is curtains for the Goonies. I find that a little bit, not problematic, because it makes sense from a, especially an 80s script, but it's a little bit of a bummer because they start off really strong and then they kind of devolve really quickly. Yeah, and that actually kind of ties into my bad, which is, you know, obviously this is written as a movie, it's not a game, uh, but throughout the movie you can feel feel the game master's hand uh directing the group and impacting things so it's it's you know that they uh they're escaping down the fire pit and chunk is about to get there and then they accidentally knock something aside and oh there's a window to escape from and it's that's convenient and then like they they break open the pipes and that causes a, a rush of water that opens up the entryway that they hadn't the secret door that they hadn't found and oh go that way and it's it's it, a lot of this movie progresses on convenience. And if you're just watching it as a movie, then it's like, well, isn't that convenient? Isn't that convenient? And that, that kind of bums me out. But looking at it again, as you said, kind of as a game master standpoint, it, it feels like the invisible hand of the game master showing the characters the way to go. And also, if you add in what you've said about the Fratellis, that's kind of part of that is like, here mm. we have this constant threat chasing. It's a ticking clock. It has to keep the party moving forward, but it's caught up with them. So let's suddenly decrease the threat value of it and that's almost an invisible game master hand type thing as well yeah it does really feel like this was written uh with uh running an, an adventure in mind which makes our job a lot easier for the second half of this podcast <laughs> uh, remember how i earlier i mentioned that this was essentially the raiders of the lost ark of of children's movies because it is it is very much an adventure film like like if you were trying to categorize this clearly kids on bikes uh, and kids on bikes can be a wide is a wide umbrella uh, right. that fall under this. This is definitely kids on bikes adventure children's story, right? You know, you've got, you've got a treasure map, you've got theatrical music. Yeah, it almost feels like if you didn't do anything, how would this this story kind of resolve itself, right? Like the, <laughs> kind of the the Raiders of the Lost Ark aspect of it. Yeah, I agree. I can understand completely, and uh, I agree with you on that because it does feel a little convenient. But it is a children's film, right. and it, that's just how these these films works. And I think I found myself the second time watching this, just uh, maybe nitpicking the first time and the second time, going, "Oh, it's the Goonies!" And it's like, "Oh, this is the power of nostalgia, and yes. this is the power of just sitting back and enjoying the film." And I think if I were to watch this again in a week. I would be really angry with myself because there's a lot of other things I could be doing with my time. But if I, I did, I would probably be so just kind of enamored with the film. I wouldn't care about any nitpicks. You know, okay. it's sort of that it kind of fades in the background. That's fair. That's fair. The ugly Rafe. Uh, uh, we talk about good things. We talk about bad things. Is there something that you just kind of feel is inexcusable uh, in this film? There is. And you actually already alluded to it. And that is those Looney Tunes sound effects. Not only with the Fratellis, but with Data's gadgets. You know, I mean, he's mm. plummeting to his death. He has fallen down that pit and he throws the pinchers of hell up and we get a boing sound effect as he does that. Or the boxing glove coming out of his jacket and hitting the Fratelli. And instead of it being like, oof, there's a type sound, you know, it's like, that it takes me out of the action it takes me out of the indiana jones-esque of this movie yeah i agree with you because clearly i already mentioned it um <laughs> in, in, in some aspects of it and i'm also now going to disagree with both you and i guess in some ways myself in that saying it is still a kid's movie and i think the the goofiness of the sound effects 
um, is there kind of to lessen the threat for younger viewers? Because viewers, uh, you know, younger viewers, which means not us. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. And I think as a kid, I probably really appreciated that. But I get it. I really do. Uh, for me, I don't know how I feel about Sloth. I, I, you know, I was terrified of him as a child. And part of me is like, hmm, there's a certain level of representation with Sloth. And I don't know if what celebration and what is making fun of. And I can't decide how I feel about the character and the character's portrayal and just the what is the alluded to the backstory, which is essentially, yes, the bad guys are clearly responsible for a tremendous amount of neglect and child abuse. And right. it's just, and it, this is not a thing that would have occurred to me as a kid. Again, watching this as an adult, this is the thing I have a problem with. I, I want to just make sure I'm, I'm understanding. You're a little concerned about Sloth from a representational standpoint, but you're bringing him up at the part that we're calling the ugly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Part of me when I was doing this is like, do I make a pun? And I'm like, mm, I feel like making a pun at that point in time sort of belays or emphasizes the problem I might have with it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And I think that's really sort of is I keep on second. I, I feel like Sloth takes me out of the film because I am trying to guess the intentions of the writers and director at the time that this was made. Fair. So I'm going, wait a second. At the time this was made, how, wh- why was he portrayed as he is? But there's a really beautiful story about that, and I do believe that Sloth becomes a member of the Goonies, and I and I believe that you know he and Chunk are going to find a loving home. And I'm trying to imagine like Chunk, like 20 years in the future when he becomes this really responsible caretaker guy, you know, later right. on, who's who's like no one makes fun of him because he works with you know, like like there's I keep on thinking about the future of the Goonies and maybe that is a testament to how good this film is. And maybe it's just a mirror to my own childhood where I'm looking at myself going, Wow, I remember when I was that young and all I wanted was adventure and to find pirate maps and now uh now I work with children. So yeah, that's a thing that I find distracting in the film. And it, it's both uh, sort of a, a meta narrative of the film, right? Like my bringing my own issues to it, uh, and then also the film itself. What's well, funny you should mention your own childhood because the the next question I want to ask is, you know, we ha- we as I said, we have the Goonies, we have this group uh-huh. of of different archetypes, but they're, they're but they're fun characters to me. This is the characters. Which one were you? Well, I, I'll. I... It's not the easiest thing to answer, but I'll tell you who I wanted to be. Clearly, I wanted to be Data. Uh, I really, I was a James Bond fan like Dana was, though Data thinks he's James Bond. He's clearly Q. Uh, I used to try to figure out how to make all these cool gadgets. I just am not smart enough to to come up with the the physics aspect of it. I'm not an engineer on any stitch of the imagination. Uh, You know, uh, so I was Chunk. Not, um, oh, you were joking. See, now I, see, I got distracted. I want to. I'm, I'm picturing Drew walking around in a trench coat with a boxing glove and uh, shoes uh, with oil and all that kind of stuff. Oh no, I got this. The, those tiny, you know, the tiny little turkey basters that you use for like sucking snot out of babies' yes. uh, noses. Like I had those, and I remember coming home from this movie and getting a pair of sneakers and cutting the heels out. And taking canola oil and putting them in those little snot suckers and putting them in my shoes and thinking, ha I've got uh, oil shoes. But here's the problem with that. You still got to put your feet in the shoes. Data, 
you got to put your feet in the shoes. And if you do, it's just going to start. And it's just dribbling all over the floor. And like, I remember getting yelled at and like, no one is going to sneak up and behind you. And you're not going to be able to trip anybody up because they see you walking tiptoed down the, down the street in a trench coat giggling. So yeah. See the, just the image of you walking around with oil leaking out of the back of your shoes re- emphasizes the fact that you were chunk. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I was definitely far too loud. I had too much energy. Uh, I was saying the wrong things. I probably broke a lot of stuff uh, accidentally. Um, and the and the only other character that I, I could have maybe been, I was gonna say I, I was the third wheel in a lot of situations. I was gonna say Steph, but no. And now I feel like that's I've kind of set Steph up as being like an actual <laughs> character as opposed to a stereotype. So no, Chunk, definitely Chunk. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. How about you? I I will I would love to say that I was Mikey. Like I was mm-hmm. the leader of my group of friends, you know. I mean and not a leader in like a bossy way, but I was the one who like organized our gaming sessions and we gamed at my house. You know, they all go to Mikey's house and they hang out there and I I'd, I'd love to think that I was Mikey, but the truth is in in retrospect and hearing stories of different people's perspectives of me when I was that age, I was a smart aleck. I mm-hmm. was mouth yeah. <laughs> I was not a yeah. malicious mouth. I was not like telling the maid stories about, you know, drugs and sex dungeons and that kind of stuff. But I, I was I was mouth. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> All right. So let's rate this movie because it's about time. We need to start pulling this this part of the, the show to a close. Uh, and, and unlike sure. many other uh, systems out there, we are going to rate on a double axis scale when we talk about the movies. We're going to rate them. Uh, both on how good of a film it is, but then also how good is it within the genre, in this case being a kids on bikes movie. So, Drew, uh, uh, how good of a film? This sits at, at, you know, 76% at Rotten Tomatoes. What is our scale as far as just how good of a movie it is? If you're asking me just as, as a movie, watching it now as someone who has experienced movies and, and has lived kind of lived had this as a part of my life um even nostalgia heavy i think i'm gonna put this at about a seven seven and a half out of ten because it is an incredibly enjoyable film but it is also a really i find very frenetic film and i think it's also very difficult to watch kid actors for too long and it is just all kid actors and god help them they are doing they're doing a great job but they're still kids, and even even a, a director like Donner, it, it's going to be difficult. So I, I found myself being distracted by quite a few bits of this film. So, yeah, seven and a half. I think that's still pretty strong, actually. Yeah. How about you? No, that is. I, I, I think I rank it higher. I think a lot of that is nostalgia. I've talked on my own podcast about the danger of nostalgia. But in this case, I, I, when I, every time I revisit it, I still have fun. I loved showing this movie to my son. I loved, mm. and, and when I needed to rewatch it, uh, I asked him, hey, uh, I need to rewatch The Goonies. I know we watched it, you know, a year ago or so. Do you, do you want to watch it with me? And he was like, sure. Like, he enjoyed it, too. So I'm going to go a little higher. It's not a perfect movie. It, it definitely has its flaws, but I'm, I'm going to say a, a, a little higher. I'm going to say an eight as far as quality of movie. Okay. Okay. No, we're, we're pretty close. Now, as a, as a genre film, as a kids on bikes movie, mm. 
I, I have to give this a 10. We've already said this kind of set the stage for kids on bikes as a genre. It isn't the first of the kids on bikes movies, but it's the most notable one, especially because it's kids, plural. It's a group as opposed to like E.T., which many consider to be the first kids on bikes movie, but is mostly Elliot's story. So I, I got to say, as a kids on bikes movie, this is a 10. I mean, what kind of a person would I be if I disagreed with you? Um, you no, I think you're absolutely right. I think, I mean, it, admittedly, it's a sign of our age that when I think of kids on bikes, this is the film I think of. Right. right. This, is, this is kids having an adventure. It's about their friendship. They're growing as individuals. I wouldn't necessarily call it a coming of age story per se, but it definitely is the bonds of friendship. And it is a trip. And it's one of those films where... I think with the exceptions of the things that you and I have already mentioned in sort of our bad and ugly, I would show this to kids moving forward ad nauseum. I think no matter how, how old I get, there's always going to be an audience for this film. And I also can't imagine them redoing this with the same, without the same sort of magic that this, this film has. So yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's a perfect score for the kids on bikes genre. And in many ways, it's a good thing that this is how we started because I think even if we weren't starting with this film, you and I are definitely going to be judging all future kids on bikes movies to the Goonies. Even if we don't really want to, I think it's inevitable. All right, last segment before we uh, we transition into the other half of the show. This is a, a fun little game that Drew came up with. Uh, we are doing a Kids on Bikes draft based on the movies that we are watching. So both Drew and I have a team of eight characters, okay, seven uh, kids characters, and one peripheral adult. And we get to pick a character from this movie to join our team. We may not pick the same character, and Drew gets to pick first because he had the brilliant idea behind this. So, Drew... Oh. Who are you adding to your team in this initial installment for your Kids on Bikes team? So I have two potential picks here, Rafe. And I think I think one of the these options you could probably already guess. Oh, I, I have. I have in my head exactly who you're going to pick. But I have a possible... <laughs> I have a possible Dark Horse pick. And I can't decide which one I want to go with. Because... I, I feel in many ways I want to just almost leave it up to you. It's like, what do you think? You want to go for me to go for the obvious choice or you want to be surprised by the parking? I'm going to pick data. Clearly, I'm going to pick data. Why wouldn't I pick data, right? I, I think the idea of data is kind of a joy to me because I clearly like the gadgets. But I think in any group dynamic, data's energy is always going to cause so much chaos but there's also going to be, from a game master's perspective, so much potential for just amazing last minute pull it out of your hat or out of your trench coat kind of just just astounding uh, gameplay so i'm gonna go with data with that one okay that's exactly who i expected do you want to make a guess as to uh who who i almost went with i want to know who you almost went with yes okay it's not staff so just in case you were wondering As as much as I think she's a fully realized character, maybe I think that's the problem in not taking her. Rafe, I almost went with Mouth. Wow, really? See, yeah, I think I think out of all of the characters, Mouth kind of contributes the least to the group in this sort of like. I mean, he's great as a comedic foil. He he, but and yes, okay, he can read the map. Uh, although 
I, I still watch this movie and think he is BSing it half the time on reading the map. He may very well be, but that's if you have a character that that's convincing in their BS, how much fun are they going to play in a game? He that's is true. essentially... Um, he he's the charmer right so like major charm speaks multiple languages uh really good with improv rolls with the punches and while he may rub you the wrong way and may have uh, a number of conflicts with other members of the group i mean the way he treats chunk is horrible but also he's a boy uh you know at, at a certain age but that level of kind of antagonism within the group makes for great drama and great drama makes for a great role playing game and so Part of me was considering that as the the smooth talker, um, mm. always a fun trope to play. But then I got to thinking, we never, to the best of my knowledge, see another data in the Kids and Bikes movie that immediately pop into my head. And I, I can't turn down that. I can think of one that's data-esque in the inventions way, but I don't even know that we're going to get to that movie. So we'll see. Well, we'll see. We'll see. All right. So that's my pick. I'm, I'm going to put it up on the board. Data is now off the board. Mouth is all yours, Rafe. Go for it. Yeah, not going to take mouth. Um, what? I, I, I think, I know, I know. Well, I just kind of tipped my hand at that when I said he offers nothing to the group. I mean, you're right. He does. <laughs> you do need a charismatic character. You do need the charmer. Uh, so he does bring that. You're right. You're right. I can think of many others I'd rather have on my team that would cause less problems. But I, I, I feel like the the key thing uh, that I can take out of this team, since you took data, is heart, is mm-hmm. the 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 soul that keeps the team moving forward, that offers that 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 perfect rallying, uh, Crispin's day speech, uh, and and that's Mikey. Mikey is mm-hmm. the heart of the Goonies. Like everybody is ready to give up, and he gives that you know our world down here it's our world speech and uh he's the one that's really driven to find one-eyed Willie. and and you get to a point in the movie and one of the things i love about his characters you get to a point in the movie where it's not any longer about getting the treasure to save their homes to mikey like that's why the other goonies are in it but for mikey it becomes a personal quest to get the best of one-eyed Willie. To, to, to beat him. And that's what mm-hmm. keeps Mikey driven forward. And I, I, I want that kind of leadership on my team. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And you know what, what I, what I love about it is not that you're calling him the leader because it, it, he is, Yeah, but you're right. He is the heart. Yeah. Like you could potentially have another quote unquote leader on that team who is smart enough to lead that willing to do certain things to lead but I don't know if you are going to find someone else with the same kind of heart that Mikey does. And I, I applaud your decision. I, I like that one quite a bit. Yeah. So there we go. We have our first members of our draft. Uh, I think we'll, we'll, we'll get those up on the website too. Uh, well, so we can keep a tally. So yeah. we'll, next month when we choose a new movie, we'll have uh, new characters to pick from. I think that's about a wrap for the movie aspect of this. Yeah. Yeah, or- Absolutely. All right, so we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we will dive into gaming inspiration from the Goonies. Write a review, and then you can share it. With the world! 
in any social media platform. And then your friends see it and you can share and discover new shows together. This is Steph, instigator of Pod Rev Day, Podcast Review Day. And I'm Andy from Inspired Money. And I'm Arielle of Earbuds Podcast Collective and Castbox. We're here to tell you everything you need to know about Pod Rev Day, which is on the 8th of every month of every year of every century of every you get it. We are posting podcast reviews as part of hashtag Pod Rev Day Podcast Review Day. Because podcasters work their butts off and deserve to know how much they've impacted your lives. And you can do that through reviews. Even one star feels surprisingly <laughs> good. Does it? It lets you know that people are at least listening. Don't be a passive podcast listener. Write a review and tell your favorite creator what you love about their podcast or about a specific episode. And to participate, you just need to do one review. And we'll see you every eighth of the month. Pod Rev Day. Because podcasters deserve to hear it. Hashtag Pod Rev Day. P-O-D-R-E-V-D-A-Y. Welcome back. We have now reached the role-playing portion of Never Say Die. Hey, you know, Rafe, I guess we should also mention that the podcast Never Say Die, the name of our <laughs> podcast, is based <laughs> on the Goonies. Why is it that we are X number of minutes into this podcast and we haven't mentioned that yet? I noticed we didn't mention it when I picked it and I was like, oh, boy, that was a missed opportunity. <laughs> it really was. Folks, if you're wondering why we call our podcast Never Say Die, it's not specifically because it's a Goonies podcast. Uh, we got it because it's a great kids on bikes quote. But also, when we're talking about role playing games, a lot of the role playing games that we play involve dice and uh, Never Say Die. And you're like, sure, but shouldn't it be Always Say Die? Let's not even dwell on that. Here's the thing. <laughs> Movies aren't long. So if we are looking to recapture the spirit of a film, essentially what we're thinking about is how can we create an opportunity for you to have a one shot that will allow you to capture that spirit of a movie in role playing form. Now, do you want to make it in a quick campaign? Sure, go for it. And what we're going to do on this section is Rafe and I are going to discuss what things that you can consider, what truths you can consider that will help you to transfer the spirit, the themes into a, 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 a palpable role-playing experience, right? In, in regardless of the system that you're playing in. That's what we really want to do. You want to have Goonies for Dungeons and Dragons? Great. You want to have Goonies for Star Wars? Fantastic. Goonies for Call of Cthulhu? You're a monster, but we can probably come up with that as well. <laughs> I think that's what we're saying. Isn't it, Rafe? Yes. The, the map is very different in a Call of Cthulhu game. Uh, you just mentioned truth, and there was something you hit on in our Zero session as well. Uh, we talked about we don't want to walk away from this with, like, this is how to run the Goonies as a game. We want to talk about the truth and, and, and incorporate that into our gaming sessions. What do you consider to be the truth, and what do you consider to be the truth of this movie, of Goonies? Good. Yes. Okay. Um, you're absolutely right. What we don't want is for you as a listener and, and, a, and a potential player to just come away thinking that we're just going to tell you how to gamify the Goonies so that it's the Goonies from start to finish. What we want is, again, the spirit of the game. And for me, whenever I'm creating any kind of game, regardless of how much prep time I'm doing, there's always going to be at least one, usually one to three truths. This is always going to be true. No matter what happens, no matter how off script the players get and and I don't want to say if the players get off script I'm saying when the players get off script because if you're listening to this and you've played role playing games you know that the players are an <laughs> opportunity to uh improvise an opportunity to toss your notes into the garbage an opportunity anyway a truth 
is something that's always going to be true regardless of what happens. So for instance, what is true in the Goonies? Well, I actually found three truths in this. I think that you could replicate the spirit of this film in any scenario as long as you keep to these three truths. But the first one is this. Uh, there's a time limit. Yes. The Goonies, the Goonies takes place in less than 24 hours, which is crazy if you think about it. Uh, and so f- in order for this to work, you need to be able to start and stop your adventure in a certain amount of time period. Now, if you are sitting down for one evening of play, you're usually going to play, let's say, three to four hours of gaming. So you should be able to kind of recreate the spirit of this in three to four hours, knowing that the end of the session, if you haven't done X, then blank will suffer, right? So in the Goonies, you have 24 hours to find the treasure or you all lose your homes and you have to move away from each other and all of your friends go away. And that's really dire. So that's that's the first truth. The second truth for this one is that you are being pursued by a competent enemy <laughs> that will absolutely kill you if they get their hands on you. Did I um, mention at the top of the show we were going to talk about the Fratellis a lot? Because I, I feel like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and this is the important part. Regardless of... And this is, when you're dealing with kids on bikes, a good chunk of the time, your kids are not going to be competent combatants, right? Like, that's not what these movies are about. Very, very rarely do you have a scenario where you have kids. And by kids, you know, we're talking about, you know, they can be kids or they can be teens as long as they're not adults, as long as they have their agency, but you're rarely going to have them win the day through violence. And if your game, if you're playing a game that is combat heavy, if you want to recreate this, your character should not be able to defeat these enemies purely through melee or purely through combat. Right. Um, yeah, you are being pursued. And, and and pursued is a big thing. Like, flight is really what needs to do this. Uh, and the third really important thing about this is that your flight is going to be hampered because every once in a while, you are going to run into traps, puzzles, something along those lines, right? Like, you have to solve things with your brains through your experience. And that, I think, almost might be the most important part of recreating Goonies, the spirit of Goonies, because the time limit is fantastic. Time limit adds so much weight to both the pursuit of this palpable threat, but also being able to solve these riddles or puzzles in time. I I think those are the three main truths that as long as you're keeping to those ideas, you can create Goonies uh, in in pretty much any game. Is there something else I've missed that you would would add to that? No, but I, I think it's the combination of the three. That's really yes. important because I, I've run games that have a, a, a ticking clock, you know, that mm-hmm. that you have to uh, have accomplished this. You have to go get the, the magical item and be back before this hat before uh, this amount of time or the person you're trying to save dies or or, or that kind of thing. And, I, and I've done traps because those are a fun hindrance to players, period, especially right. because I, I tend to run a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. So timetable traps. Oh, OK. Well, I, that's not the Goonies. You know, I've done that. That's not the Goonies. But we add in that third element about being chased by a superior foe. And, and it goes to what you said at, at the top, you know, that this is not just a kids on bikes thing. It certainly works in kids on bikes, but I can picture uh, running, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and suddenly having a superior foe hunting down the, the adventuring party. 
I could see going back to to really classic role playing games. You know, Top Secret. They, mm-hmm. They're playing spies and having a, a rival spy organization on top of them. You know that they're having to evade, that they're having to avoid, and that those three elements together. I, and, and I do think if the, if there's a fourth truth, it, it goes back to what I said at the beginning as far as why this movie means so much to me, why I, I hold this movie in high regard, and that is there there is a dynamic between these characters. You know, that these feel like friends. And the problem with that as far as trying to recreate that in a gaming session is as the game master, you're limited to how much you can control that. Your players Mm -hmm. become responsible for that part. And if you end up with a table of players who you know are not going to role play, then you're not going to have that element. But you as the game master, you can give them opportunity for that. Right. Again, we talked about in our last episode, that's what our session zero is for, right? So your players hopefully have already signed on to doing a Goonies game, right? Like they're like, listen, we want to do Goonies and we really want to do it in top secret, a game that I haven't thought about in 20 (laughs) years. But let's say, let's say on the unlikely chance that they, that's what they said. Hey, we want to play Paranoia or uh, Teenage oh Mutant God. Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness. I think we just have, there's probably people listening, like pumping their arms going, yeah, let's hear about role-playing games from 1988. I totally could see the character dynamics and all of these these truths that you're talking about in a in a TMNT campaign. Absolutely. Right, absolutely. Oh, yeah, well, TMNT is designed for, for good teams, right? Like, that's sort of what makes the Ninja Turtles kind of fun in general but any of those if you're going to be starting with uh that sort of dynamic in mind that's where your session zero comes into play that's where you create these great little relationships you know look to the person to your left your player to the right name one good thing one bad thing right so like it's like okay you're playing mouth a mouth-esque character uh and you know your person to your right is chunk uh let's talk about why your relationship might be a positive or negative one. Well, you like to bully him in in a way, which is kind of gross. And why do you even spend time with him? Well, this is a character who may have done something for me in the past. Or what is this, re- you know, like maybe you have a, a positive and negative relationship with each member in the group. And that's one of the things that I really do like about this movie. We sort of talked about this uh, earlier, especially with Steph, where Steph has a relationship with every character, has a scene or at least a moment with them. And I think they actually do a really good job, especially with like Mikey has a, um, a moment with everybody easily in the group. Chunk doesn't really as much because he separates from the group, but maybe set that up in your um, session zero Make sure you build those relationships early on so it makes for your players a lot easier. Or if you're running it at a convention, create, I, I would say, do something that like you would do for, at a fiasco, right? Get your index card, fold the index card, put it between the two of you, and just do, have a one or two word descriptor between them to get what your relationship is. But with the emphasis as you are friends. So even if it's positive, even if it's negative, you're still friends. Mm-hmm. And when the when the chips are down you are still on the same team even if your relationship is rocky, right? Like, that's the sort of thing. You build that into it. You throw in those three other elements and you've got the Goonies. You know, and the other thing too is, I think you mentioned it in the last one, adventure. You know, adventure has to be the really important part because, you know, I mentioned putting this in Call of Cthulhu. Sure, you could do a Call of Cthulhu game with this, but, you know, I maybe wouldn't do Call of Cthulhu for Goonies because while you can have a superior foe pursuing you in Call of Cthulhu and you can have a time limit, right? Like, all, And you can have traps and horrible things. Call of Cthulhu is not uh, a frenetic, high-energy, almost goofball adventure thing. It's about horror. It's about terror. And, and maybe that's... Maybe be 
a little careful if you try to set this up because you are all, maybe already setting yourself up for failure because for me, a good Call of Cthulhu story, you go into it knowing that your your a good Call of Cthulhu story ends with everyone going insane or dying. Like like that's right. sort of like you know, <laughs> if if data falls down and is actually is impaled on those spikes uh, spikes because his uh his teeth whatever it's called, the jaws of the, the pinchers of death. The pinchers of death. Whatever. The, if those don't work and he slips and he dies and everyone sees his corpse uh, impaled by those spikes and they have to do a sanity check, you know what? Your game's not going to be nearly as much fun. But I think if you go in there agreeing that on what the genre is going to be and kind of what the level of energy is going to be, most games, admittedly, you could probably play. I mentioned Paranoia earlier just because we were riffing on 80s role-playing games. Paranoia is probably not a great game no. to play for the Goonies. But Dungeons & Dragons, you could do. I mean, Dungeons. I could. I could think of a bunch of ideas just off the top of my head with Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, how do you emulate children in Dungeons and Dragons? Well, you make them all either zero or first level characters. Actually, they don't think they do zero level characters fifth edition. But no. if you're playing third edition, you can play commoners, right? You can choose. You can absolutely choose to say no stat over thirteen. Play with negatives to your modifiers. Oh my God, Rafe. Uh, if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, I mean, which is a combat game, clearly you could have uh, superior enemies, but Mikey's got to be a bard, right? <laughs> oh, Mikey, Mikey has bardic inspiration. Like, isn't that isn't that essentially like you give them non-combat spells? You give them only things that are beneficial. Oh, oh, God! You have to give data. You have to, maybe data becomes a sorcerer because uh, you got to give him grease as one of his spells. You can easily <laughs> pull that off, right? Uh, you give him a lot of utility spells. You have to make him a sorcerer for fifth edition because you can you can put those points in different ways and and essentially pull out the uh, w- whatever it's called. <laughs> well, I want to I want to jump in here. Aspect of it. yes, please. I want to jump in here. Uh, while there are no official level zero rules for for fifth edition, there is an Adventurers League product that guides you through using zero level. And one of the things, not not to argue with what you're saying at all, because I love it, uh, but one of the the parts of making a zero level character. Uh, which which I think would be a good idea is they they don't have a class so right, Mikey yes. isn't a bard yet he becomes a bard after he finishes this adventure and levels up <laughs> agreed yeah 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 absolutely and I think that makes a lot of sense um it, but like if you have players like listen we really want to play and uh you know Stranger Things is such a, a huge influence on this genre for modern audiences now and of course you know you got to love Stranger Things for really the kind of the renaissance for Dungeons and Dragons that's going on right now so people are gonna play hey listen we want to play D D we want to have combat well that's fine you can do that you just make them low level characters you you get put a, a cap on stats if you have a party of seven players seven players even if they're not great they're going to be able to overcome a lot of things when you're looking at yep. challenge ratings just and sheer boy <laughs> you've got a whole bunch of superior foes that you can have um, charging them and I mean think about it you've got something terrifying like let's say a challenge rating of five like even a fifth level creature or group or cult or individual pursuing them uh, that's even seven first level characters are going to be in trouble with something like that. At the end of the road, you find a pirate ship full of undead pirates, all uh, pirates of the Caribbean, and that makes One-Eyed Willie th- and the uh, Inferno a whole different kind of encounter <laughs> at the end. But you can I still do that, right? There's so many possibilities. And and again, I, I, we're talking D&D, but D&D is one of those things where I think a lot of your first-time players or early folks, that's what they've heard of, even if they right. haven't played other things. And, and I'm going to say this right now in the game, folks, I encourage you to play something other than Dungeons & Dragons because there's so many amazing, amazing independent games out there. But of course, D&D seems to be one of those doorway games where... Um, 
most folks are at least familiar with the concept. Fantasy is the easiest sort of template to talk over because you don't want characters to die generally. Like the Goonies doesn't, the game isn't fun if one of the Goonies dies. The movie isn't fun if one of the Goonies dies. Um, And that's the beautiful thing about magic in Dungeons and Dragons. It's just like, oh, oh no, he's dead. No, he's not. Spare the dying and cure light wounds or cure wounds. Yeah, so. Well, but that's that's also why this does go so naturally to kids on bikes because that's supposed to be kind of one of the tenets of kids on bikes. Nobody's going to die. You know, your characters are safe. But you do need that threat of that superior foe. Yeah. So so it's kind of a fine line to walk. And that's, that's why I made the comment earlier about it kind of feeling like the hand of the GM because you need to have this threat but you also don't want to devastate your party if something goes wrong and that threat catches up with them you've, you've got to walk that line between where is it a threat and where is it too much sure I mean I think the idea with the threat is to they have to flee in order for this adventure to continue if they right. turn and fight it's over right so this is one of those situations where we are still talking about a ticking clock um, even though it's not a, a part of Dungeons and Dragons, uh, if you are familiar with Blades in the Dark, they have a really great clock system. Whereas um, you start with a certain number, when it gets to zero, an action takes place. So we could say in 12 clicks, 12 clocks, um, the game is over, uh, or we could end it with a time and the clock turns over when one of three things happens. Right. So it could be that um, there's a situation where the group has hesitated for too long and the the pursuing threat gets close to them, it ticks down one. So then they have a real reason to run because if they wait another round, it ticks down again. Maybe if they, you know, for every two rounds in the presence of this thing, it it's going to attack them and the clock will tick. So it gives them multiple impetus to keep moving away from it. Uh, it also gives you your ticking clock, which is great. And then you have the threat of traps, puzzles, yes. like in the case of the piano, which I thought was so good. By the way, and I, we haven't said this before, this movie is just asking for you to hand out props. Like, yes. I want to draw that map. I want to include the little um, music notes on the back or whatever it is that's going to make you feel like you can kind of encapsulate this. But this, it starts with a treasure map. Of course you want to start with a treasure map. But one of the interesting things the movie does is it, it makes sure each character is essential to solving the puzzle in some right. way or another. Uh, the, the music notes, and oh, Andy has a background in music. You know, mm-hmm. that, that uh, oh, Mouth speaks Spanish, so the, the text mm-hmm. on it. So the, the, you have that player engagement with all of the characters, and I, I think that's a valuable thing for GMs to pick up from this as well. You also don't want to be heavy-handed with it, because if that's the session that Drew misses, and that was the puzzle that Drew was meant to solve, then how do you resolve that? So good traps have multiple solutions, or have, have multiple ways that the players can can solve them in, in some capacity. But also, I don't think there's anything wrong with tailoring the traps to work with the character's skill sets. Oh, agreed. And that's one of those things where, too, if you if you create your characters ahead of time or um, GMs, if you, regardless of you know what system you're playing, if you are going to make the character templates for your players, hand them and say, tonight we're playing um, you know a Star Wars-based adventure uh, themed on the Goonies, you know, give them the characters ahead of time so that you know what they can and cannot do. And Reef, you touched on something that is so important, not just for this movie, uh, but for gaming in general. GMs always find some way to engage all of your players. 
You know, if you are in person and you see them starting to check their phone, you got to figure out what to do because it pulled them back into that story. You know, the last 18 months, of course, with the pandemic, I've been playing everything versus Zoom. If I see someone starting to not pay attention to the screen, I'm going to pull them back in the story and you have to do that too. And this is a perfect time. Puzzles are a great way. Puzzles, riddles, traps something that you know is going to happen. So we know really quickly off the bat that One-Eyed Willie is laying traps, right? That that first one comes as a surprise, but now everyone's looking for it. Now in Dungeons & Dragons, if everyone's rolling investigation checks for check for traps every single time you walk into every single room, that gets monotonous, so you got to figure out a way to um, level that out so it's not just everyone going, I check for traps. All right, you take two more steps. I check for traps. I take more steps. I check for traps. <laughs> now I have a different uh, problem though, Drew. Which is, Please. you know, I, I love traps. I love puzzles. As I said, I love throwing those in my game. I, I have pro- probably every session has a puzzle or a trap in it somewhere. Right. But I run out of creativity. Yeah. I need resources. I mean, I, oh. he- heck, I even have right here next to me uh, something I picked up through Kickstarter, which was a a, a, a a book of riddles. Specifically because then I can go to my book of riddles for a riddle to throw into an adventure. I, I, my, my brain can only handle so much. What are some other resources for puzzles and, and traps that you, you recommend? Well, I've got a couple that I have on my shelf at all times, and there's a couple that you can gain access. Here's a problem. A lot of the books that I have, you're not going to be able to get access to um, in hard copies just because I've been I've been running role-playing games for 35 years, and you know I have a ridiculous collection of role-playing games. But uh, the beautiful thing with digital media is that now you can go to drive through RPGs and you can get a lot of these older books um, reprints for not a lot of money and there's some fantastic fantastic resources available on YouTube as well so I, I was thinking about this because I'm already designing a couple of games uh, based off of this you may or may not be playing in them sometime soon so maybe don't pay attention too close there Rafe anyway oh here's um, my phone look at that oh, I have a message oh no um <laughs> Uh, so one, uh, Matt Coville um, has running the game. Uh, episode 91 is all about traps. It's really good. Right off the bat, Coville mentions the Book of Challenges, which is from Dungeons Dragons Third Adventure. I love that book. It's not just traps. Um, it's got all sorts of puzzles uh, as well, which I think is really good. Way back in the day was Grimtooth Traps uh, from Flying Buffalo. Do you remember this one? I, I loved Grimtooth Traps as reading material. As reading but material. But you could never incorporate those into a game without killing your party. Right. But the beautiful thing is, it's inspiration. And that's yes. really what we're trying to, to say here. Um, I mentioned on the blog fairly recently that Richard Molina Weber's The Puzzle Key Ring is really good. Molina Weber is, he's got a couple of Kickstarters out fairly recently too. Just really good ideas. When you when you are a mathematician and you like puzzles, that's a lot of what you can be doing. And one of the things that I like is too, he has a uh, D&D Academy for kids, specifically for children. And I will say this, as someone who runs a lot of games for for kids between the ages of 8 and 12. I don't like dealing with a lot of combat. I don't like listening to kids talk about how they're killing things. So a lot of the combatants that they're fighting are going to be automatons, skeletons, um, enchanted plants, maybe insects or something along those lines, something that they're not killing an analog to a human being, right? Right. But I'll throw a lot of puzzles at them. I love ciphers. Mm, I, I, code, Ciphers yeah. are always really great. I uh, 
guaranteed one out of five games i'm going to involve a substitution code of some kind um and i will again another i love handouts i love being able to put something in players hands and let them work with so maybe a secret decoder like a three ring decoder substitution thing where they have to they have the ring from the get-go and they know they have they have to solve something but they don't know what the what the starting point is and like you might go on an entire adventure just to get that one code now they know that (laughs) that m equals b and now they can use the decoder ring and now they can realize that they actually have to go to another location because it's a campaign and it's going to go on for months and months and months what else google riddles just google riddles (laughs) just like, like if you don't have rafe's book that he got on kickstarter google riddles there's so many great ideas i and i think i mean just that those are some of the possibilities but there's there's a lot out there reddit go to reddit and just write hey i want to run traps for something or puzzles for something the reddit communities are so mind-boggling good you probably already have you're probably a member of at least one discord right or one facebook group find your community just make sure that your players aren't a part of that community i made a real mistake early on in inviting uh some of my players to some of the role-playing groups i was a part of and then realized i couldn't ask them for advice because my players would then find out you ray for one of those players and i realized that i, I really shot myself in the foot a couple of times with that but um, but you yeah, know if you, you had if you had posted and said rafe don't read this i would have respected that i totally looked sure at it <laughs> you would have. all right so we talked about D. i mean and we've yeah. talked about this in broad sense but we've specifically referred to kids on bikes a little bit we've specifically referred to D call of cthulhu for some odd reason <laughs> uh a, a lot of games that people can't get their hands on with top secret and paranoia and that kind of stuff what give, give us give us some other games that you would recommend uh using for a goonies campaign well, okay, here's the thing. Um, again, I'm going to always defer to Kids on Bikes, the role-playing game, uh, mainly because playing that game is how we kind of started our role-playing group that we're in right now. Uh, it's a game that I think is, it just perfectly encapsulates the Kids on Bikes genre. Why wouldn't it? But there are a couple of other games out there where you can play as kids, for one from another, Meddling Kids, uh, which was from Panda Head Games. It's, it's a very simple system. Uh, I have used it with my eight-year-olds before, um, and they... They liked it fine. They wanted a little bit more out of it. Um, but again, that depends on, you know, you have to cater these to your, your players' tastes. Um, Tales from the Loop uh, by Free League Publishing, you know, based on the amazing artwork, there's a Netflix show. But Tales from the Loop is cool, but it does have a world that exists very specific to that. But you can get a really good Goonies game out of it. And again, these are playing as kids. They're games designed to play as individuals who are not as powered as adults, not as powered as teams. So that, that sort of already built into it. Um, if you like mysteries, Gumshoe's a great game. If you like being mysteries with kids, Bubble Gumshoe is even better from Evil Hat Games. So I would recommend that one. I think there's one called Little Fears. Uh, I'm looking on the shelf. I'm looking on the shelf to see you. Po- uh, Key 12. Uh, no, Key 20. Key 20. That's what it is. I saw it too. Uh, Key 20 Publishing. Um, but that's this it's very creepy the whole point of it is like the boogeyman is out to get you and your belief system will allow you to manifest certain magical things like your stuffed animals will protect you it doesn't really fall into the goonies sure it does because instead of gangsters pursuing them now we have the boogeyman pursuing them through that sure that's true yeah I guess you could do a kids on bikes version of the goonies meets little monsters meets the babysitter's guide to monster hunting yeah yeah you could absolutely do that uh and then if you really want to throw in call of cthulhu you could pull that in using that system as well why well i my call of cthulhu collection is directly across from me as i'm, I'm talking so this is why i keep on recommending those but those are games um that i can think of that 
uh, work with just playing with kids. But again, you can, if you, um, not saying that children are weak, but physically they are, um, the game, whole point of the Goonies is they're going to have to outsmart and outheart the enemy, right? That's sort right. of the whole point of it. So you need to be playing characters that are, are, are going to be physically weaker than the thing that is pursuing them, but smart enough to solve the puzzles and fast enough to beat the time. You do that. You can lay that template over just about anything. Those are your truths for that one. Okay. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to ask you one more question. We've talked about traps. Yes. We talked about a, a threat, but something you said early on in this episode that we haven't touched upon in the gamify part, yes. which is the town. The town. Yeah. Yeah. I think the town is, is just as important to one with just about every other aspect of this because you have to care about the location because like we said early on kids and bikes is is essentially exploring a, a smaller town that's specifically that's in the remit of kids on bikes the rpg but all of the movies that we talk about they're staying within the town like they don't suddenly go on a road trip and travel for four days right so your town has to be the environment in which you play at uh, if you're doing the goonies you are looking at both your town and you have to be looking towards under the town right so right. i think I think if you're looking at a truth for your your play environment, it's going to be what is hidden. Something is hidden and there's a destination you're always moving towards. So for the Goonies, they get into the the underground through the lighthouse lounge. That is at the tallest point. We see them driving up the mountains. They go in and the rest of it is down and moving towards the coast. So what I would do is make sure that whatever the scenario is, even if you're above the town or below the town, that you're still drawing attention to, I keep on wanting to say landmines, and that's not the thing that you want to be doing. Landmarks. (laughs) Far more important thematically, far less dangerous. Please, game masters, do not set landmines for your goonies. The game is going to be over very quickly, and it's going to be horrible to clean up, I am not making fun of maimings from landmines. I promise. Rave, please cut this out of the thing. Oh, hell right. no. <laughs> so landmarks. So for instance, in the Goonies, um, we have a couple of really important landmarks. So like you were, we talked about like the pipes, right? The, 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 the plumbing pipes. One of the things, one of the many reasons that like mouth suddenly becomes important is he goes, oh, this is, these are water pipes. If we bang on these people will hear from us. Well, we have a landmark, right? We have the Astoria Country Club. That's directly above them. Now, does the action of tearing those pipes apart uh, do anything other than a certain level of catharsis for for chaos? No, not really. But the wishing well, right, the uh, Moss Garden wishing well, that's really cool because it does tie it in. And then we get this moment where, again, weird, mouth, this one was mine. This was my wish and it never came true. So I'm taking it back. What a powerful moment. Mm-hmm. And again, even though we have no idea what he's telling about, we, we suddenly go, oh, wow, mouth, there's some depth to mouth and it's actually Steph again Steph was like no you can't take these these are people's wishes it's such a really moving scene again we also have Andy you know going up there I'm I'm talking about plot when we're supposed to be talking (laughs) about landmarks but or landmines or (laughs) landmines just think about if those were all landmines instead of pennies so yeah I think I think really sitting down and figuring out your town, really, if you've got a copy of Kids on Bikes, look at the 10 questions for um, world building really early on in the book. 
Um, it asks some really good questions. is really good for a small town. I mean, okay, let's say what a uh, uh, what I know I've mentioned. Let's say, see Star Wars. Like, how would you do Goonies with Star Wars? Well, I don't know how Rafe would do Goonies with Star Wars, but I was thinking about this earlier. You are kids, and you somehow have managed to get on a ship that you're not supposed to get onto. And the ship is being automatically guided from point A to point B. When it gets to point B, the smugglers who have sent for that ship are going to open it. There is some sort of security droid built into this ship that is pursuing you throughout the decks. And because uh, this ship is so massive, there are ancient security measures built into it that you will have to overcome in order to get from one deck to another. I think that works perfectly for that, but you're still going to want to have an understanding of like the world that you live in. So definitely talk to your players, get some ideas. Really, it never pass up an opportunity to get your players to contribute to the overall story because they're going to feel invested by it. Uh, you're going to feel better at it. And, and as a game master, isn't it so much nice if they're willing to put in some form of the narrative work? Yeah, I think that I think works out. Really, just get a painted picture. Rafe, anything else you want to add to that? I'm all game for the Star Wars campaign as long as I get to play Gungi. And that that's it for references that only a couple of people will get now. I'm done with those for, for this episode. Okay, <laughs> good. Uh, please see uh, Rafe's most recent episode of um, have not seen this for my rant about why Star Wars doesn't matter to me as much uh, as it did when I was a child. Uh, y- y- the, the one other thing that we just need to touch upon, and then we're running long as usual, um, <laughs> our first real episode and as usual, just because I know us, planting the seeds of rumors. Yeah, that's true. Rumors is a big thing. Now, this is a big thing that's in Kids on Bikes again, um, and I will well, say but from... But it's also in Dungeons & Dragons. I, I, there's, yeah, absolutely. I haven't, I haven't bought a pre-written module that didn't include planting seeds for, for, for rumors. And one of the things I, I love about doing that as a game master is they always give you rumors that are relevant, and they always mm-hmm. give you rumors that are irrelevant that you can use to spin off your own adventure, or they can just be total BS. Yeah. And I think the other thing, too, is I think you should have a couple of ideas as the game master for rumors that you want to add, but I think you should always ask your players for their own rumors and then use some of them but not all of them and pay attention to the ones that they mentioned even if you're not going to use them because it's always fun to give them red herrings now admittedly in the goonies you can only use like one or two rumors uh because the adventure you can't stop and go wait a second maybe they meant this we should give up this quest entirely and go check out uh the top of the the well you know that sort of a thing but we start off with a rumor of one-eyed willy you know what if we get five things about one and Willie and only two of them are true? The advantage to that is if you give them those rumors ahead of time, like for instance, Mikey is looking at the display in his attic and it's from a museum and a quick perusal of the book, uh, everyone roll for every number higher than blank or for every high card or however is whatever system you're using, give them a couple of rumors, make sure one or two of them are thoroughly off make sure the other ones are have useful information that um you know you should give them at least one rumor that can help them with a future trap well and, and if you look at the way the movie is built it's built around those you know right uh chester copperpot people knew who he was you know like his name was legend in the town that was a rumor that had been spread around one-eyed willie was a rumor that had been spread around right. chunk is spreading around rumors at the beginning of the movie about the ORV. Yeah, and um, Gremlins. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there's there's the false one. <laughs> right, which is great because that those false rumors um, are what keep the police from, from getting to him initially, right? Which is like, Lawrence, 
And this is about that rumor you told me about strange creatures that multiply if you feed them after midnight. And you're just like, oh, a reference of the Gremlins and the Goonies. Which is funny, too, because I think that the copy of the Goonies I have on DVD comes with Gremlins and Gremlins, too. It's, it's a three-disc three, three disc set. <laughs> it's a really weird packaging, but it's, it's what I got. All right, Drew. I think that's going to do it for us for this week. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Rafe, where can people find you outside of this podcast if they want to find you? Uh, I host the podcast Have Not Seen This, which is a movie discussion podcast. The most recent episode that either is up when this comes out or will be up in a few days has you on it as one of my guests talking about the remake of The Fly. Yeah, not not at all a, a kids on bikes movie. No, but you can find that at havenotseenthis.podbean.com. My personal uh, Twitter is at Talon Hess. That's T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S. Uh, and if you like Doctor Who, uh, I have a monthly podcast called Who and Company that can be found by just typing in Doctor Who, Who and Company. Uh, so Doctor Who stuff, nerdy, fun. Uh, and also I can be found, uh, my personal Twitter is at Drew M. Meyer, so you can get in touch with us there. But if you want to get in touch with us, Never Say Die the Podcast, you can reach us in the following ways. Uh, you can email us at the Never Say Die Podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear feedback from you. You can find us on Facebook at Never Say Die Cast. And we're also on Twitter at Never Say Die Cast. Uh, and don't forget to join us in two weeks. Uh, when we have kind of an intermission episode that we're going to do in between these larger conversations. Uh, and it will be Drew's turn to select a movie that'll be revealed there, as well as any listener feedback, any questions, comments uh, that you send our way. Also, we are always uh, scanning Kickstarter for new and great ideas. So, so we're going to also let you know what has gotten our attention on Kickstarter as well. So all that will be in two more weeks. Uh, and special thanks to uh, Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song and to Megan Daly for our show's artwork. And Remember, even if you're a super competent supervillain whose stats seem to lower every time you get near your siblings, never say die. <laughs>